This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Worth a try. And he's always prepared to give it a go. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. All right, we're off the ball on BFM 89.9. My name's Daryl Ong, stepping in for camera, Razlan. With me, as usual, uh, we have Kishnan. Welcome to the program. Hello, Daryl. Good to be back. There's Kalkyu, of course. And you did well enough to deserve your place in the lineup on Monday, Daryl. Good job the other day. <laughs> Thank I you. so easy on you today. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, Sean Malhotra. What's up, what's up? Nice to be back again. Been yeah. A couple weeks. Three, three United fans, one Liverpool fan. What could Aren't go wrong, right? Pleasant, uh, aren't they smiley happy today? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're not going to start with Manchester, but we're going to head over to what uh, is the game of the week. Manchester City 2, Tottenham Hotspur 3. Gundogan and Mara scoring for Man City. Uh, new signing, Kulovski and Kane scoring a brace for Conte's man. And that's a start with you. This was really the Harry Kane show, wasn't it? I'm going to disagree with you immediately. I think it was the Hugo Lloris show. I think he made two saves in the second half that were absolutely unbelievable. The one from Gundogan, where he hurls himself to his left-hand side, is, is beyond world-class. Hmm. Uh, considering the, the, stick, the amount of stick that he got um, for the goal that he conceded, which, yeah, if you're a very, very top-class goalkeeper, you want to hold on to that ball that's flicked into you and it's bounced off him, Gundogan scored. But considering the stick and the emotion that he will have gone through in half-time, for him to respond with the save he made from Gundogan, that one in particular was exceptional. He made one low down to his left as well. He came for crosses, which normally he doesn't do. Mm. I mean, the Harry Kane story is the easy one. He scored the goals, of course he did. He had another one disallowed and he, he was very, very good. In the few times that he was involved, Hugo Lloris, for a goalkeeper, was involved for probably 70 minutes of the game, either anticipating cross or being involved directly. So I'm calling this a Hugo Lloris show. Mm. Uh, I think it was a magnificent performance by him. Tottenham with Romero, also very resolute defense, uh, defensively. Basically, Kane was able to uh, uh, capitalize on the space that was allowed him in midfield to play those lovely through balls he does. Mm. But what he's done is Son is playing in half the Manchester half the, half the pitch. So Kane has just put it into an area. It's not like he's hit um, um, a, a, a fabulous ball. He's put it into an area for Sun to speed, speed away. His goal's absolutely excellent. But no, I'm going to take issue with you. It's not all about the goal scorers yep. and Harry Kane. Sometimes gotcha. it is about the, the, the work of Hugo Lloris. And Lloris is um, a goalkeeper who is easily criticised. But on this particular occasion absolutely sensational. Yes, that's right. Hugo Lloris had a, had a great game. Um, but Spurs, they, they're only the fourth side ever to complete a league double over a side managed by Pep Guardiola. Kish is Spurs officially Man City's boogie team? <laughs> I mean, there, some, I remember someone post, posted a tweet saying that, look, Spurs versus Man City any season, any time of the year is always a chaos fixture. Uh, over the last... Uh, I think about three, four years, we've seen multiple iconic matchups between these two teams. Um, and, and honestly, I mean, yeah, I, I agree with that. I think Hugo Lloris played a fundamental role. Christian Romero is absolutely brilliant. He's someone that they've missed. Eric Dyer coming in for Davidson Sanchez was a, was a big step up for them as well at the back. But if you take Harry Kane out of that performance on that day, they don't beat City. They really don't beat City. They might have sneaked the draw. They might have avoided the defeat. But they don't beat Man City on the day with Harry Kane. You replace Harry Kane with any other player and Son doesn't get those passes. You replace Harry Kane with any other player and you don't get someone who drops deep to make those passes and then dashes across the line intelligently to make sure that he's on the end 
off the final ball. And that's the sort of performance that Harry Kane put. I don't know if it was uh, the fact that uh, there was a lot playing on his head. You know, he was supposed to go to Man City. He wanted to go to, to City in the summer. Mm. So that might have played a lot on his head over the course of the last couple of days heading into that game. But this was a hurricane that Spurs fans have been craving to see all, all season long. They've not got a glimpse of this version of hurricane. And it, it was exceptional to see. And it was something that Son Min um, spoke about passionately in the post-match press conference as well, where he said, all season long, hurricane has just been criticised. But today, he continued to prove why he is easily one of the most important players in this team. And right now, word in the street is he is building an exceptional relationship with Antonio Conte. Um, and that is always going to help Spurs in the long run, not just in the context of this season, but also this summer when City come knocking on the door again. Yeah, yeah, that is, that, that's definitely going to happen, right? You know, I mean, the, that, that game at the ATL is almost like an audition <laughs> for Man City. So, so um, you do see Man City going back in for Harry Kane, Sean? Uh, you know, the... the the question at the start of the season was whether City could could put a run in and go towards the title without a, a recognisable number nine. We've seen Jesus play and he plays out a wide position. It was unavailable for the game. I think City will go in for a striker in the summer. Whether it's Harry Kane or not, I don't know. You know, there's talk of Haaland, there's talk of Kane. But we know they're going to spend a ridiculous amount of money. It's going to be in the hundreds of millions for a striker. I can't imagine... City doing what they're doing this season for a prolonged period again next season and the season after that. So I think Harry Kane will be one of the number of names. You know that Julian Alvarez will be with City next season, but whether or not he'll play an integral part in that team is up for debate. But I think Kane will definitely be one of those names linked with City again. Mm. Uh, what this result did, Des, uh, you, you and Klopp must be rubbing your palms together. You know, the title race is very much back on, isn't it? Uh, I, on Friday's show, I, I, I looked at the fixtures beforehand, or we looked at the fixtures beforehand, and I said there were nine matches that Manchester City are playing in where there's droppable points, awkward little games, yeah. Everton away, Villa, last day of the season, Steven Gerrard at, at Etal. So um, while I earlier on I was of the opinion that Manchester City would not have a blip, I didn't see a blip, and I don't see this as a blip. They've, I, I think they've been done here in, a, in an extraordinary game where they've, they've still bossed possession. They still should have won it. Mm. Um, so Manchester City are still very, very much in the, in the title race, but Liverpool are an exceptional team. So, um, yeah, it, it's potentially game on. What I'm not liking, and I really, really wish it wouldn't happen, is the, uh, the emergence on Twitter of, of uh, Liverpool fans uh, saying, oh, it's ours now. And the celebrations that were shown in, in pubs and clubs after that, that Tottenham goal. Nobody wins anything in February, apart from the League Cup, perhaps, which is next week. But mm. nobody wins anything. So you don't go celebrating. You don't do what the Man United fans did for 10 years and rub people's noses into it. You don't do that. <laughs> Liverpool fans are doing that. And I, I think it's a, a, a real problem and it, can, it comes back to bite you on the backside very, very hard. So keep it modest. Just say we're in with a chance. We've still got the little match of having to go to Manchester City and having to win and having to win every other game this season. Hmm. So, no, it's not open. It's no different from what it was the other day. Liverpool at least have got it in their own hands. Though. Yeah, they definitely did. And they definitely took advantage. You know, Liverpool rounded up 3-1 winners against Norwich. Mane, Salah and Diaz with the goal. Um, let's, let's go to you again. You know, Luis Diaz looks to be a really astute signing for Klopp. Again, I'm, I'm going to ignore your, your, your words because that's what the papers are saying. I'm saying Thiago Alcantara. <laughs> 
Thiago Alcantara yep. is just sensational. He changes games. What Liverpool have not had um, since he signed is a, a real run of games where, where he's involved. But when Thiago plays normally alongside Fabinho, Liverpool are are a different team because he makes things happen. He pushes them. He played one ball to Salad at Salad ball, uh, port, port wide, which was oh, just uh, orgasmic. It was just sensational. Hmm. And Thiago is that kind of player. Um, and he's never had the, the, the run in, in the game. If Liverpool can keep him fit, Liverpool will have a chance of being there on the last day of the season uh, when, when Aston Villa go to Manchester City. Thiago's the man to me. Yeah, you can talk about Diaz. He's one of a great front three. We've, we've got to talk about Salah, the, the second quickest ever. After Roger Hunt, who's, uh, I am old enough to remember Sir Roger playing for Liverpool. Hmm. Um, but to, to do it as quickly as he's done is sensational. But the man to make Liverpool tick, Thiago Alcantara. Yeah, Mo um, Salah is the 10th player to score 150 goals in all competitions for Liverpool, like you mentioned. But yeah, Thiago Kish, he took a while, right? Uh, early on, there were still some doubts about him. Um, he was in and out of the squad. But like that's it, this game really solidified his place in, in, in the starting eleven for sure. It, it was a joke the way people were treating Thiago Alcantara last season when he first arrived at Liverpool. It was a joke the way the Premier League was making a mockery out of him, almost as if they forgot what he did at Barcelona almost as if they forgot how important he was for Bayern Munich in that last couple of seasons when he was fully fit. And bear in mind that when Pep Guardiola went to Bayern Munich, one of the first players he said, look, if you want me here, one of the guys you have to bring in by hope or crook is Thiago Alcantara. And that's, if a manager like Pep places that much of importance on someone, surely this guy is not a joke. And, and that was the surprising part about the way Premier League reacted to Thiago Alcantara last season. But obviously, he was always going to take time. Um, he was always going to take time to get adjusted to the Premier League, number one, to get adjusted to Jurgen Klopp's brand of football, which is very different to the style of football that he's used to mm. at Bayern Munich and Barcelona. But now that he's, he's, number one, stayed fit for a prolonged period of time, and he's had uh, time to get himself adjusted to Liverpool's style of play, to the Jurgen Klopp brand of football, you're starting to see the version of Thiago Alcantara that that's not a surprise. He, he, he has all these in his bags. He is a tremendous player. And I completely agree with this. I think, I think in general, I can understand the sense of positivity around Liverpool at the moment. Um, Harvey Elliott coming back. Um, Luis Diaz immediately looking um, really good uh, in Liverpool's attack. Mo Salah continuing his hot goal scoring form. Ibrahima Konate, when he is put in the side, he's, he's exceptional at the back. He's just an incredible defender. But there's a lot to be optimistic about, but the one individual that is going to have a huge say in whether they do well in the Premier League and in Europe is going to be Thiago Alcantara. He is going to be the guy that plays a huge role in determining where Liverpool and um, the season end. Hmm. That's Liverpool 3 and Norwich 1. Let's move on now to to London. A London derby of sorts. Crystal Palace nil. Chelsea 1. Ziyech with a last gaps goal. But here I want to talk about uh, Lukaku. He had two touches uh, in the first half. One of them was the kickoff. <laughs> and you know, it, it, it's crazy because just last season he was one of the one of the more feared strikers uh, in European football, right? Um, Sean, you know Lukaku, you know. We know Lukaku <laughs> as a former striker. What happened to him, man, in your opinion? It's kind of weird because we've seen him in the Premier League now for like multiple clubs. The performance he had against Palace was one I really didn't expect. You know, I, I saw a stat that what he had seven touches in ninety minutes, which is pretty shocking—the least of any player in years. I don't know what it is with him. Whether his confidence is hit, whether he's got his mind elsewhere, whether he even wants to be at Chelsea at this point in time. But you have a job 
to do. You are their only recognizable striker in the team. They spent a lot of money to bring him back to Chelsea. The least you can do is get yourself involved in the game. You, you, something I realize about teams like uh, that Thomas Tuchel have or Jurgen Klopp have, every one of those players needs to work at 100%. Right? If not, the team's not going to entirely tick. You can't carry players who are not doing their jobs. You see players like Kante, Jorginho, uh, even Ziyech now who's picked up a lot of form who are putting in a lot of work. If Lukaku is not getting himself involved, you can't blame these other players for not creating him chances mm. or finding him the space. That's his job. His job is to put them balls at the back of the net. If he's not doing that, there is I, I, I don't understand. You know, you if Tuka was to drop Lukaku, who do you put in to, to replace him? So I don't know if this is a confidence thing or whether he just you know, isn't up to pace with the Premier League again. Mm, yeah, for Crystal Palace, however, um, they held their own, you know, uh, losing again to uh, last Gap's uh, goal. But um, Des, I guess, you know, do you see that Crystal Palace is shaping in a Vieira identity at the moment? Yeah, I, I, I've liked Palace. I think they've been one of the more unfortunate teams so far this season. Um, I, I, you look at the games and I, I think they've got 12 to 15 points less then they probably deserve a couple of really harsh last-minute uh, goals against them. And, 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 and it does add up. And if it happens once, oh, it's bad luck. If it happens twice or three times, then something is wrong. But I definitely think they're, they're in, the, in the right way. They had good chances. Elise had a, a really good chance in the first half. Zaha had a couple of huge chances um, before Chelsea had scored. The goal itself is, is a beautifully taken goal, but it's a long ball into your penalty area, which um, you'd anticipate a top-flight team should be defending a little bit better beautifully taken by Ziyech but bad goals concede I just think Palace are uh, they're so much more watchable than they were under Roy Hodgson yeah. they were dreadful they were dire under Hodgson and Vieira's got them playing he's got them playing higher up the pitch he's got them competing more he's getting them into more attacking areas may not be this year uh, that they get the results I think next year if he's allowed to by the Palace board um, build on this team then Palace can be a, a fun team to watch and a difficult place to go. Yeah, that's for sure. That's Palace nil, Chelsea 1. We're going to take a short break here on Off Ball, but coming up, we're going to be doing more Premier League reviews, including the exciting race for the top four. Do stick around. This is Off the Ball on BFM 89.9. Captain, leader, legend. Off the Ball on BFM 89.9. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. I'm Daryl, your host, stepping in for Cam. On the show with me, Daz, Keish and Sean. Let's head over to Leeds now. Leeds United 2, Manchester United 4. Three of us are really, really happy in here right now. Uh, Rodrigo and Rafinha with the goals for Leeds. Maguire, Bruno Fernandes, Fred and Ilanga. Ever since Ilanga has come into the squad, he has impressed really well, hasn't it? Uh, Almost filling the shoes of he that shall not be named. Yeah, Anthony Ilanga is a, is a talent. Um, um, I think what's impressive about Anthony Ilanga is his sheer movement. And if there's a manager that, that can appreciate movement very well is Ralph Ragnick. At, at, when he was in the Red Bull system, uh, a lot of the players that he tried to bring, bring into the clubs were primarily based off movement. And one of the prime examples is Sadio Mane. Um, Ralph Ragnick was the guy who brought him into the Red Bull system. He was a massive fan of Sadio Mane, just based off his movement off the ball alone. And I think Anthony Elanga is getting a similar treatment from, from Ralph Reining at the moment. But listen, when I was a kid growing up, I heard so many stories of Leeds versus Man United. But obviously, we've, we've not had the opportunity to witness an absolute classic. Yesterday, it was, it was the first time in 19 years where fans were able to be back in the stadium for this fixture. 
But most importantly, there were so many things that was happening off the pitch that just added to the tension. It was the, the uh, I mean, the atmosphere was, was one thing, but it was also the storm. It was the rain. The pitch was wet. The, there was tension on the pitch. Got McTominay within 12 minutes. Got uh, Robin Koch. Um, I think he had a, he, he was bleeding off his, his eyebrow or something like that. There was, there was a lot of tension. There was a lot of narratives in, in the game. And it, it created this, this sense of just, um, I can't find the right word for it, but there's a lot of tension around it. That's the best way to describe it. Mm. It was like a vintage Leeds United game that you've always read about. It was an incredible game to watch as well. End-to-end stuff. Um, United completely dominant in the first 45 minutes. Paul Popa was brilliant. And then there was that 24-second collapse. Um, you know, that back to back. two goals. Uh, but the response, the response was great. Look, the one thing I will say is that Ralph Ragnick, his substitutions yesterday were all absolutely incredible. Yep. When Pogba was brought off and Fred was brought on, you could argue that 90% of the discourse on Twitter was just confused and baffled. Everyone was just going bonkers. Like, why are you taking out your best player? But Fred came on and turned out to be uh, the guy that turned the game around. So it was an incredible game of football, one that I genuinely, genuinely enjoyed. For sure. Manchester United have scored 10 Premier League goals via substitutions this season and that is four more than any other side. Um, Sean, Ralph Rangnick, uh, he has, you know, kind of focused on stuff that's happening on the pitch and not, you know, because the British media has been talking about the captaincy issue a lot, right? You know, CR7 potentially taking over Maguire. If it does happen, Sean, if CR7 is captain, what would change essentially? The thing is, what you know what you're going to get Cristiano Ronaldo. He's a guy who's a born bread winner and he accepts nothing less. Even when he performs badly, you can see it. Maybe sometimes that's not the best of things to see on the pitch when he starts throwing his hands here and there. But personally, I don't want Cristiano Ronaldo as captain. Not because I don't think he'd be a great candidate, but I think mid-season to change your captain, I don't think it's the best idea. I, I, not that I'm saying Harry Maguire is a great captain, but I'm saying you're halfway through the season. Mm. Get it over and done with. When the new manager comes in, whoever it may be in the summer, let him decide. Right now, let's just focus on the games that we have. I like the fact that Ragnick hasn't focused on all the stuff that's been happening in the media and he's focused on every game that's coming. He's addressed the whole Maguire-Ronaldo stuff and saying, no, Maguire is my captain and he'll be my captain till the end of the season. What happens after that? Who knows? Kind of thing, which I like. I don't I don't want us to focus on all these things that are coming out in the media. I've been on Twitter every day and all I can see is negative posts after negative posts after negative posts about United. I think that they're an easy target right now because, you know, nothing seems to be going right for them. But as long as, you know, we perform on the pitch, that's all that's needed. But personally, I don't think Ronaldo is the ide- the best candidate to be captain for United. Mm, gotcha. Uh, that's on to you now. A valiant display definitely from Leeds. But, you know, this result put them in 15 with 23 points after 24 matches. Do you think they'll be sucked into the relegation battle or are they already there? Yeah, they, they are. There's, there's them and Everton and even Brentford who played a lot of games and are just above them can could all be caught. I think Newcastle will, will probably get out of it. But it, if the likes of Watford or Burnley, who I think Weghorst is a fabulous signing for Burnley, yeah. uh, that if they can accumulate points, a Leeds or an Everton, if they don't um, buck up um, um, away from home, then they could be uh, sucked down into it. But they are running out of games. Leeds, great spirit, great fun. I've I just got to go on to the United thing. And one, one of the things I saw was um, for Leeds equaliser. So you've just conceded a goal. Uh, the crowd's against you. 50-50 tackle comes in on Bruno Fernandes. He goes down 
The ball plays on, and Fernandez is rolling about as though he's not got to do any defensive work. Ball comes across, Fernandez is still on the deck. There's little things, little attitudes. His work for the, for the Alanga goal was sensational. He's mm. a wonderful player. Mm. No two ways about it. But sometimes you just see something as a fan uh, in the attitude of your players, which suggests that something isn't quite right. And if you go down after a 50-50 when you've just conceded and you're still on the floor when the ball hits the back of your net, there's a problem. There's a problem fundamentally there in that you're not up for the fight. You don't see Man City players uh, doing that doing that kind of thing. You don't see the top players, and it's just those little things which which um, really change things. As for Leeds, they were they were bullish. They went about it as as best they can. I thought uh, it was a poor third goal to concede near post um, from Fred. Poor third goal that changes everything. And they've just conceded too many. They could get sucked down into that relegation battle. Hmm. Uh, that's a great point you brought up. There's a, almost seems like the CR7 attitude is rubbing off on the other players, right? Keish, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I, I've always been upfront about this. Uh, make no mistakes. Ten years ago, Cristiano Ronaldo was my favourite player of that generation. But, because, but just because he was my favourite player of that generation, it doesn't mean that I have to or I must accept his presence in this team. For me, I think it was a massive a mistake to bring him in. At this point in time, I think the fact that we continue playing him, I think it's probably internal pressure from the board. Honestly, if you ask me, I think if, if it was purely down to Ragnik alone, he would have dropped Ronaldo a long time ago. It wasn't Solskjaer's decision to bring him in, was it? It was a board decision. It wasn't. It wasn't. He didn't not... announce it. And it, we said this at the time. Correct. Um, and, and, and my problem with it is that it's such a marketing decision and it did not suit Man United. It did not suit what Man United needed. It did not suit what Man United already had in the team. And you know, yesterday, what was most frustrating is, yes, we won the game. And hence, the noise is mainly about the victory and the guys that stood up. Yeah. But how poor was Ronaldo again yesterday? How many times did we try to catch leads on the break? And he was just far too static. And all of a sudden, you had Jaden Sancho making a run, and he had no one down there to make you know uh, diagonal runs off the ball to to drag a defender to open up space for your teammates. None of that was happening, and this this sort of staticness is it's it's starting to get very frustrating when you watch it week in week out. Make no mistake, sure, within the context of a penalty box, he will get you goals. I mean, yesterday he missed a, a you know a sitter that he should have scored, but okay, sure, he will get you goals in the penalty box. But everything else he does outside of that is not helping United at all, yeah. at all. Mm. To me, it should be a priority to find a way to get rid of him this summer. It, it, it's not out of disrespect to Ronaldo. Look, his legacy at United can never be wiped away. But you cannot live in the past. You need to make decisions that suit your team in the moment, the players that you have, and the style of football that you want to play. And Ronaldo, unfortunately, is not doing it for Man United that's leads to Manchester United 4 let's move on now West Ham 1 Newcastle 1 Dawson and Willock with the goals Sean let's come to you West Ham they're putting up a really really strong fight right for 4th do you think they can do it despite the you know the competition around them I don't think so I think this game against Newcastle was a big one right because if you look the teams around them who have a very good chance at 4th position you have United Arsenal Spurs I put Wolves in that conversation as well yep. All of these teams picked up three points over the weekend. Last night, you know, Wolves picked up three points as well. West Ham's game against Newcastle was huge. And keep in mind, they have no games in hand compared to teams like Wolves, who have two games in hand over United. Uh, Arsenal have three games and Spurs too. Picking up three points at this stage is very important. And I think, you know, the fact that they've dropped points against Newcastle, it's going to really hit them hard. 
I'm not saying they won't finish in a European position because I think they have it in them. But whether or not it's for fourth, I don't think so. I think if you take away United from the picture, Spurs and Arsenal have a very good chance and Wolves has an outside chance as well. Mm. But dropping points against Newcastle, I think has really hit them hard. Yeah, for sure. But one of the highlights though of, of you know that game and you know the entire West Ham season this season actually is Jared Bowen, right? He's turning out um, really good for them. Uh, Des, what are your thoughts on his performance throughout the season? You know, Can he potentially be West Ham's best player? This is the second time you brought up Jared Bowen. Have, have you got a stake in his uh, management company? Maybe. Or <laughs> I think so. <laughs> yeah, he, he's, he's, he's done well. He's, he's done very well. In, it's a style of play that... Um, that seems to suit them, hitting on the break. Um, Hull, uh, Hull uh, benefited a lot from him um, playing as a centre-forward. Here, he's adapting more as a, as a wide player. I know Liverpool have kept tabs on him for a, for a long, long time, not so much as a, a replacement for, for a potential move of Salah or Mane, but uh, as a potential squad player to come in. Um, so he is highly regarded. He's scoring goals. He can miss sitters as he did as well in the, in the, in the last minutes of a, a recent game. But... Um, yeah, good player. West Ham are a decent team. David Boyes has put together a very well-constructed team. Um, crucially, let's let's go back to Man United again. It's, it's a, <laughs> the, the manager's in charge of what goes on at Manchester United. David Moyes is selecting the players. Kurt Zuma gets selected because David Moyes wants him. Forget the off-field um, distractions. He wants Zuma in his team, quite rightly from a football point of view, so he gets him in his team. At Manchester United... You're not really sure whether or not it's the manager who makes the decisions. Ranić is beginning to, to make those decisions. One final point. What was the colour clash from black and white stripes <laughs> playing against claret and blue? Why do we <laughs> persist in just oh, this marketing garbage? In years to come, when people watch photos of this game, they'll go, who's that team in the black? When the black and white stripes of Newcastle are there, it may seem old school, it may seem old fashioned, but to me it's very, very important. Your team identity of Newcastle is black and white stripes. You wear black and white stripes unless there is a definite colour clash. Mm. Drives me bonkers. Yeah, definitely an interesting fashion decision from them. West Ham 1, Newcastle 1. Let's move on now. Quiche 2, Wolves 2, Leicester 1. Wolves slowly climbing up the table, like uh, Sean mentioned, you know, Bruno Large definitely um, putting his team together to play in his, his way. You know, resilient and enterprising. They are two points off Arsenal and West Ham. And what are Wolves' next two games? Arsenal and West Ham. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but Wolves, they, they've looked like this since the early of the season. Because if you notice earlier this season when they had that run of fixtures where they weren't picking up points, but anyone who watched them closely would know that they were playing better than all the, their opponents in a lot of those games. Uh, they were being well coached. It's a, it's an incredibly well coached. Now, when I look at the Premier League and I look beyond the big six, who do I think are teams that are very well drilled, mm. very well coached to very specific styles of football? I mean, Graham Potter's Brighton is the first one that comes to my head, and then there's Ralph Hasenhutl's Southampton, who have who are very straightforward in the brand of football that they want to play. Patrick Vieira is trying to do that at, at, at Palace, but it will take a bit of time. Maybe by next season, we'll see that a lot more tangibly. And another example is Bruno Large. I think, I think the work that he's done at Wolves, getting them to play a style of football that is very uh, different to what Wolves fans have been accustomed to under Nuno Espirito Santo for almost uh, three years, uh, which has been a lot more pragmatic, a lot more conservative. Now they're playing a lot more attack-minded, a lot more uh, fluid football. Plays like Ruben Neves is starting to you know, get the freedom that he's always wanted. Uh, Daniel Podence has looked great on the flanks as well. Raul Jimenez... 
still trying to rediscover his form, but he's still a strong presence up front. And most importantly, it's that back three uh, of Conor Cody, of um, Roman Size and Max Kilman. It's that back three that has looked absolutely rock solid this year. It's it's a really, really nice team to watch, honestly. And you add a couple more players into it. You add a couple more top quality players into it. And this is a team that could be easily, easily pushing for Europe, honestly. Mm, from a solid back, back uh, defence line to you know not so solid defence line Leicester right they are Leicester are the only side without an away clean sheet uh, in the Premier League this season shipping 23 goals in their last 10 games on the road uh, this term Sean let's turn to you what's gone wrong for Rogers? you know there's, there's always a lot of talk about the injuries that have happened to Leicester the likes of Fofana who I thought was huge for Leicester Johnny Evans being in and out but the thing I mainly focus on is a guy who's had a huge fall from grace in Soyuncu. You know, I, I when I first saw Soyuncu, I thought, wow, this guy is solid. He could play for any top European team. This season, he's looked dreadful. And I think even their midfield, Ndidi hasn't looked great. They're, they're make, leaving so many open spaces. They, they don't look compact as they used to be. What could it be? I don't know. Lack of confidence? But this is a huge 180 from, from how they were playing last season, mm. you would say that their only real bright spark in the team is Tielemans. And if he can't carry a game, you know, that, that team falls apart. The, Jamie Vardy's not been around. Patson Daka has done quite well since he's come in. Defensively, they just leave holes everywhere. And they're quite an easy team to play against. And it's funny because the last real big win they had was against United where they looked perfect. But ever since then, they've been shaky. Any team could play with ease against them and Cut them through. Mm, that's Wolves 2, Leicester 1. Uh, let's move on now to North London. Arsenal 2, Brentford 1. Really comfortable win for Arsenal. But Des, you're going to love this one. John Moss denied three stonewall penalties. It really seemed like he tried to you know, keep Brentford in the game. Yeah, referees, uh, VAR. Um, I was going to save it for the PSG game later on, VAR. I'm just not a fan. I, I, I tell you what I, I am seeing though, is uh, I'm... I'm seeing referees are able to... Oh, what's, what's the word I'm after? Referees are making more mistakes. Referees are uh, using VAR as a get-out-of-jail-free card. They're second-guessing um, themselves, aren't they? E- e- exactly. So, so basically, this was always my worry. Not, it wasn't about the incorrect or uh, inaccuracy of decisions. Hmm. It was the taking away of responsibility and authority from match officials. That was always my case. Plus the fact that if, if you're playing it at any league, it's got, it's got to be at all leagues, all professional leagues. Malaysia, Singapore, everywhere. Same standards because that's what football is meant to be. And so what, what I'm saying is you, you, you can argue it's subjective. Was he right? Was he wrong? Was it Stonewall? Is it Stonewall 2019 rules or Stonewall 2021 <laughs> rules? That's where we are with officiating. We're in this middle ground. Um, where handballs, clear handballs aren't necessarily given. VAR comes, goals are disallowed for the ball going out for throw-ins, as we saw in the Barcelona game, four four um, plays away from, from where the goal happens. Um, this is all a long-winded rant against VAR. I just think it, it impinges on referees. I'm happy for referees to make mistakes. I'm happy for assistant referees to make mistakes because it's part of the game. You're telling me Cristiano Ronaldo doesn't make mistakes? Of course he does. We know the answer to that from what we've just heard, heard on before. So mm. you've got to allow the officials to make mistakes as well. And they're being allowed this get-out-of-jail-free card or this, um, this second-guessing card. And I, I think it's bad for the game. It's yeah. bad for football. 
for sure. Speaking about football, Arsenal, um, and I want to talk about one oh, player. Oh yeah, Arsenal Brentford. I forgot about Arsenal Brentford. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about uh, one player in particular, Martin Udegaard. Uh, he really pulled the strings right in the middle. Really sublime performance for him. Um, Keith, do you think he's a future Arsenal captain? He's already the the captain of the Norwegian national team. I, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure in terms of what Arsenal need. Is he the right guy? Is he um, uh, aggressive enough? Is he loud enough? There's a lot of other candidates at Arsenal at the moment. There's shouts for Ben White, shouts for Aaron Ramsdale. Uh, but but Martin Odegaard is certainly up there. But captain or not, he's a tremendous football player. And honestly, uh, for the fee that Arsenal paid to acquire him, uh, I, I've always felt that that he's he's been a steal. Uh, he's one of those very underappreciated talents. But a couple of seasons ago, when he was with Sociedad, if I'm not mistaken, um, in, in La Liga, that season, when you look at, when you look at the final uh, uh, analytics, he was the league's second best creator behind Lionel Messi. That's just how good he was. There was Messi, there was him, and then there was a huge gap to a bunch of other people. And, and it's, it's his movement, right? His movement, his intelligence, just how comfortable he is on the ball. Against Brentford, there were so many times when he had when he just timed his run to perfection. I think there was one clip that I was going around Twitter as well where he he knew exactly who who was behind him because his head is constantly moving and he just played this dummy, switched around, collected the ball and then made a, a, a diagonal pass to switch flanks. He, he's an incredible football player, Martin Odegaard. Uh, one of the most underrated in the Premier League. And I'm, and I'm honestly very, very glad to see him finally get the respect uh, that he's getting slowly now at Arsenal. He is going to play a very all the talk at Arsenal has been about Bukayo Saka and Ms. Metro. And these two yeah. players are going to play a very important role for Arsenal's future, mm. right, in the next couple of years. But Martin Odegaard is also going to be right there. Agreed. That's Arsenal 2, Brentford 1. We're going to talk more Premier League action and some games around Europe when we come back. This is Off the Ball on BFM 89.9. Because whilst he's there, it's been very difficult for other clubs to get near them. He's that good. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. We're back on BFM 89.9 Off The Ball. I'm Daryl with Sean, Keish and Des this evening. Uh, we're going to round up the Premier League matches. Let's start with Aston Villa nil, Watford 1. It's Roy Hodgson's first win as Watford manager. Sean, do you think Hodgson, the loyal Roy Hodgson, can lead Watford to survival? No. No. <laughs> not, Straight not up. I, I don't think, uh, it, it, you know, there's a chance or anything. I just, I'm looking at the teams at the bottom of the table, right? So you have your Leeds there, your Brentfords, your, your Everton's, you know. I look at the teams below them, right? So your Burnley's, your, your, your Watford's, you know. I think they'll get good games here and there. They'll nick points off here and there. But whether or not they can be consistent enough to, to get that run that maybe gets them out, I don't think it'll be there. I mean, getting a win over Steven Gerrard's Villa is huge. You know, if you watch the game or watch the highlights, at the end of the game, the whole stadium just booed. Because <laughs> Villa did not play well and mm. Watford deserved their win. The thing is, down there, fine margins are so, so important. You win this game, sure. Burnley's won as well. Burnley have a lot of games in hand. <laughs> so it's whether or not come the last day of the season, Watford fans and, and players can be like, okay, you know what? We're safe, we're fine. Or they'll be in that position where, oh no, if we don't win today, or our fate is out of our hands, I think it's going to be that case where the fate is out of their hands, mm. where there'll be a team that will probably trump them to that, that last relegation spot. Yeah, that being said, there was definitely a confidence boost for Watford, isn't it? Uh, Des, are you in agreement with Sean? You know, is Roy Hodgson not their saviour at all? 
Well, if it does go to the last day of the season, Watford at Man City away. So um, I'd, I'd, <laughs> I'd worry a little bit about them. I'd, I'd, I'd be rooting for them, of course. What, what um, Roy Hodgson's done is um, he, he did it with Crystal Palace. He's made Watford boring, which mm. is which is if you're down at the bottom of the table, it's very good. Uh, they've got a clean sheet away at Aston Villa. Um, some questions about Steven Gerrard now. He he was the Messiah, and now the Messiah's lost a few, so he's not the Messiah anymore. <laughs> um, so, uh, but. but they will pick up points here and there. They've got difficult matches. I think they've got United and Arsenal in their next couple of games, Watford. So you've just, just got to look at where they can pick up enough points because they're six points adrift, really, from, from the safety. Everton and Leeds have got that kind of buffer and taking Newcastle out of this equation. I think Newcastle will, will, will get away. I, I worry about Brentford. But if, can they accumulate points? If they can keep clean sheets... Yes, you can, because you can nick um, wins like this. I think Burnley will get out. So I'm giving them a fighting chance Hmm. to go down to the last day of the season with an opportunity to stay up and then go against Manchester City. Hmm. Great segue to uh, Brighton nil, Burnley 3. Definitely a team that's coming good just at the right time, Keish. Definitely. Um, And and, and how do I even say this? A lot of people are saying that um, okay, when Chris Wood left, it was going to be a blow, and uh, and they needed a fine replacement. And then Wout Weghorst come, comes in, and they like, and most people are like, okay, you know, this guy is from the Bundesliga. He's he's got a great scoring record for Wolfsburg, and maybe he'll take a couple of games, and maybe he can be as good as Chris Wood. Put that to sleep. He's better than Chris Wood. Chris Wood is struggling to even buy himself a goal at the moment at Newcastle, whereas you've got. What Verkhorst, who's not just in terms of his goal-scoring ability, has looked tremendous, but it's his 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 effort off the ball. He is running. He is he's barging into opponents. He looks like the ultimate Sean Dyche player. He's he's causing so much of problems for the opposition. And at the same time, what's and and it's it does it shouldn't come as a surprise uh, because you watched it a lot in the Bundesliga. But what's incredible about 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 Verkhorst is that even though he's big in size. But he's really, really quick. Mm. He's got a pace. He's, he's got pace about himself. And and, and when you look him uh, attack the channels and break into the spaces with pace, um, he shows you exactly why he's better than Chris Wood. And with him up front, I genuinely think that Burnley are most probably going to escape the drop because you you talk about January signings having a big impact. This is one January signing that could potentially save Burnley's entire season. Mm, that's Burnley 3, Brighton 0. Let's move on now to Southampton 2, Everton 0. Sean, it's a honeymoon over for Frank Lampard. Yeah, I mean, the, you would say Everton is one of those hot seats right now where every little action that happens out of that club is going to be under the microscope, right? And they, they started off well in the FA Cup, you know, getting a big win. But they're in a position which I think, at least in my, my lifetime, I've not really seen Everton flirting with relegation. But they're there. And of course, it's going to play on the, the owners. It's going to play on the fans. And you're losing to South... You're not losing to a bad team. That's the thing, right? You're not losing to a team that's that's underperforming. You're playing against a very well-drilled Ralph Hasenhutl team, like Keish said earlier. They were not great in the game. They deserve to lose. I think... Take nothing away from Southampton. It wasn't Everton played badly. It was Southampton who played really well. And uh, I mean, just a side note, I think James Ward-Prowse is the best dead ball specialist in the Premier League. I think all their best chances came from him, his free kicks, his corners. So to me, it was more Southampton were brilliant, 
and they just Everton didn't have a reply for it. Do I still think that Lampard is going to struggle till the end of the season? I don't think so. I think they'll they'll do enough and Lampard will be all right and he can, you know, put his own identity in that team come the summer. He'll want to bring in players. I can already see he'll probably bring in some loanies from Chelsea <laughs> into that Everton team and he will make them stronger. Whether or not he can do it for a long period of time, I doubt it. But for right now, I think he's the right answer for Everton. This was just a blip. It was, it was a bad day at the office. Mm. You agree with that? That's just a bad day in the office. Or are there underlying problems with Lampard? Uh, I think Everton are going to be a home team at the moment. Um, away from home, they're a bit um, powder puff. Uh, Jordan Pickford made a couple of uh, excellent saves to keep them in before the first goal went in. And if you're allowing Shane Long to score at the far post, uh, one-on-one with uh, Sean Coleman, then there's, there's, there's something wrong with your defensive setup. But I think at home, the Everton fans, Goodison, listen, Goodison has got um, a lot to play on this. We're coming to the end of Goodison Park. The fans are so, so passionate there. And when Everton is pumping, when Goodison is pumping, it can be a, a torrid place to go. Man City are, are there next. Um, they're, they're, and then they've got, I think they've got Wolves and Newcastle at home. Those three games, three in the next four games at Goodison Park, they'll make or break their season. But I do think with that fan base behind you, because they're, they're so tight, they're packed into you at Goodison, and they're noisy and they're vitriolic and they're, they're horrible, horrible people, I know. I know from experience <laughs> of one of them is my brother, so I, I know exactly how that works. So I can see home form getting them, getting them out, but away from home, they were just out-battled. Hmm. Romeo just dominated midfield and that, that can't really happen. Whereas if you've got your passionate fans behind you, then there's a chance. So, uh, yeah, they'll tap into the Goodison fervour. Uh, I think they'll be good enough to stay up, but they need to get some wins at home soon. Hmm. That's Southampton to Everton, Neil. And let's, look, let's go away from England now and look at some of the matches around Europe. Uh, some top picks, if you will. Valencia won Barcelona for hat-trick debut for Obama Yang. Quiche, perfect move for him to go to Barcelona to rediscover <laughs> his form. It's a great transfer. Um, there are two moves that Barcelona made uh, in January. I mean, Ferran Torres was one of it. It's three, actually. Uh, but two, Adama Traore and Aubameyang. And whilst I've been very critical of Barcelona's signings and their transfer businesses in the last 18 months or so, I think these two signings were brilliant because, first and foremost, they come relatively cheap. Uh, and second of all, they give Barcelona what they definitely don't have. They add a slightly different dimension to this team. Xavi is building a very young team. He's building a team for the future. But a team for the future also needs to sustain results in the now. And in the now, they need immediate solutions. And Aubameyang is clearly one of them, who's given them a bit of edge up front. The edge that Sergio Aguero was expected to provide as an experienced player, but obviously um, he's had that health issue and he's, he's had to retire. Abomaye has given them that. Adama Traore has given them a bit of directness down that flank. It's, mm. it's, he's no longer going to cut back and, and pass the ball. He's just going to take on defenders. And it's the kind of play that Barcelona definitely don't have. So it's genuinely a good game. But when you look at this game, I just want to I just want to I just want to give plaudits to Pedri, yeah. who I think is an incredible football player. And I, I cannot digest the fact that he's just 19 years old. Because his maturity, his decision making, his movement on and off the ball does not resemble a 19-year-old. It looks like a seasoned pro. It looks like a guy who's 28 at the peak of his performance. He's an incredible football player. And you look at that Barca midfield, you've got Pedri, 
you've got Gavi, you've got Frankie De Jong, and even if Frankie doesn't play, you've got Nico Gonzalez. And this isn't even taking into context of the fact that Sergio Busquets is still available. That's a midfield for the future. And that's a midfield that's going to go on to dominate European football. Yeah, Ballon d'Or definitely on the cards for, for Pedri, that's for sure. Bas, uh, that's Barcelona 4, Valencia 1. Let's Sorry, move can, on. I, can I just um, put, pop in? I've got to put my VAR whinge in here. Sure. So, <laughs> just before halftime, Valencia had a goal disallowed. Um, the goal was disallowed because the ball went out of play for a throw-in seven passes before the ball hit the back of the net. It was a correct decision. So, well done, everybody. It's a correct decision. Well done. VAR, um, working well. The ball has played. The ball's been played. The ball's come into the penalty area. There's, there's concern that it's either hit a handball and Valencia put the ball in. Crowd has gone into uproar. It's fabulous. VAR comes in, disallows the goal. It's the correct decision, of course. It's great. But it's just spoiled. Spoiled. <laughs> there's no way you should be looking... Is there a reason I should not give this goal? That's what we're looking at. We've seen it in a couple of times with a couple of Man United penalties. What was the one recently where Harry Maguire blocked somebody off? Is the reason why we should not give this goal? Let's look for a reason to stop people celebrating goals. That's where we are with VAR. Mm. Big whinge. Go and look at it on YouTube. Uh, just before half-time, would have brought Valencia right back into it. By the way, Barcelona and Obama Young second goal. Thing of beauty. Thing yeah, of beauty. For sure. Uh, let's move on now to Borussia Dortmund 6 and Borussia Mönchengladbach nil. Ardes, we touched on this a little bit uh, on the previous show, but it's really a topsy-turvy game. A couple of weeks for BVB, right? They considered five goals against Leverkusen and then four, ga- four goals against Rangers. Now they put in six against Mönchengladbach. You know, what do you make of BVB and Marco Rosa's men? I've got a, a, a huge confession. Didn't watch. Didn't watch, so I've got got no real comment to make. Sorry, can I pass? Can I pass? Yeah, no, because I did this game yesterday on Astro yeah, Arena. Um, Borussia Dortmund and the Bundesliga in general is very capable of serving up insanity like this, week in, week out. You're talking about the league where two weeks ago, uh, Borussia Dortmund lost 5-2 to Bayer Leverkusen. Immediately, one week later, you had... Um, Bayern Munich succumbing to a, a 4-1 defeat at the hands of 4-2 or 4-1 defeat at the hands of FC Cologne, if I'm not mistaken. And then a week later, you've got Borussia Dortmund smashing 6-plus past uh, Munchenglebeck in the same week that they considered 4 against Rangers. I know it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense because there's no point to analyse this because you don't know what's going to come yeah. up next week. <laughs> if you can get completely different results. That's just the insanity that the Bundesliga serves you up with. But the one thing I will point out is in this game, it was all about Marco Royce. Um, this guy, is, he's at a stage of his career where he's like an elder statesman at, mm. at Borussia Dortmund. He's retired from the national team. He's put past all the niggling injury concerns aside. He's just primarily uh, very accepting of his career and the trajectory that his career has gone through, including the frustrations. And now he's just fully focused on enjoying his football. And that's why this season, you're seeing a version of Marco Royce that Borussia Dortmund fans have been craving for a very long time. He's in Zen mode. He's leading the charge. He's so intelligent on and off the ball. He's helping other players settle down like Daniel Marlin. Um, he's an incredible presence. And that's why, for me personally, I think either this season or next season, Dortmund have got to build a team capable of either pushing for the league title or something in Europe. Because when you've got Marco Royce in this bag, when you've got him in this space, you don't want to waste it. You want to make full use of it. And you want to give him the end to his career that he deserves. Because he's been an exceptional servant uh, for Borussia Dortmund. And he's been an incredible figure 
in German football. Yeah, agreed. Uh, looking at the other um, results in Europe, Syria, some really interesting things are happening there. Uh, Inter Milan nil, Swasello 2. Uh, Inter Milan now two points off AC Milan. Wow, AC Milan drew uh, over the weekend. I can't pronounce that team's name, so you guys going to help <laughs> help me out. Sherlan. Uh, Sherlan. <laughs> Thanks, Sean. Probably butchered it, but yeah. <laughs> yeah so, just call it the Frank Ribery team. <laughs> the Frank Ribery team. Yeah, just going to call it that. So yeah, uh, this is shaping up to be uh, one of the more exciting Serie A. You know, Juventus still pretty much in the picture in fourth, but yeah, um, something to look out for definitely come end of the season. Uh, also another one, Nantes 3, FC Nantes 3, PSG 1. Surprised by that, Des? Uh, goalkeeping performance was sensational um, for Nantes. Um, uh, Mbappe was through time and time and time again. Uh, there was a penalty save, but there was a, there's a, an incident just before half-time, a penalty given against Ronaldo, where he's gone up for a header as he's leading back. It's been headed to him. VAR has come in, given a penalty. Mm. So Nantes have gone into a 3-0 lead. They, they, took, um, uh, they took an early two-goal lead. Uh, goalkeeper played like he got a 10-on-10 from Lekip. I think only 10 people have ever received 10-on-10 mm. uh, from Lekip newspaper in, in, their, in their, you know, their charts. And, so that's, and two of them have been goalkeepers. So that, that was pretty unique as well. And he saved a penalty from Neymar that, frankly, your grandmother would have been able to save. I, I <laughs> it was one where he outthought himself 35 times and virtually passed the ball to the goalkeeper. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's one of these um, weird scores. It, it does happen occasionally. Nantes are a, a, a thrill to bits, but PSG are still miles clear at the top. And I'm, I'm going to say it, it. I worry about it in England, but money just coming in and making sport non-competitive. Um, so that we're celebrating the surprise of PSG losing just after they've beaten Real Madrid. Right, we're going to look at some Champions League matches after the break, so do stay tuned here on Off The Ball, BFM 89.9. England's highest quality title race of all time, but coming out on top again in the Premier League, Manchester City. Off The Ball on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, you are off the ball with me, Daryl, Sean, Das and Keish. We're going to go into some Champions League matches now, some bunch of matches happening um, in a couple of days' time. We're going to start with Chelsea versus Lille. Uh, Keish, do you think this is a potential banana skin versus the French champions? Uh, it, it definitely can be. I know Lille have had a rough season so far in Liga um, after what was an incredible campaign last season. Uh, but ultimately, they've got so much of quality and the guy that everyone will, will be keeping their eyes on, not just in this game, but also in preparation for the tr- summer transfer window, mm. is a Canadian striker, Jonathan David, who's been brilliant for, for Lille. He's been brilliant for the Canadian national team as well. He could cause a lot of troubles. I think for Chelsea at the moment, they, they've got quality all over the park. Uh, but there's also a lot of problems off the pitch. I know we're past the Romelu Lukaku discussion, but I just want to briefly mention one thing. Because if you watch the game, um, the Chelsea played against Palace. Um, I don't think it was an issue of Lukaku not trying enough. I think there were multiple times when he was trying, but the passes weren't being made. They weren't going to his feet. They weren't going to the runs that he was making. And I just wonder if there's a sense of distrust within the dressing room at the moment, especially when he went out in public and said whatever he needed to say um, uh, with Sky Italia. So that sense of distrust could be brewing within the team and that's why Rudiger wasn't playing the passes that he'd usually play to Lukaku. Hmm. Multiple times, Ziyech didn't play the passes as well. 
Um, and I wonder if that's going to be a thing of concern for Chelsea. I think that, that there's a lot of headaches for them at the moment. Mm, and that's Chelsea, Lille. That's a Wednesday game, 4am game. Also another one's Villarreal versus Juventus. Uh, this will be Dusan Vahalovic, uh Champions League debut. He really looks like the real deal, Sean. With Juventus right now, it's a, it's a hot and cold kind of thing. One week, they can play really well. They can, they can score goals and win games. The next, they can do what they did last night and draw a game. So... Anything can happen, but my main focus is on Villarreal for this game because I think sure. some of us have had the pleasure of actually seeing Villarreal twice this season, which was in the Champions League. They're going to miss Gerard Moreno for the game, which is a vital player for them going forward. But one player that can actually take them quite far, which I thought was really dangerous against United, is Dan Juma on the wing. Guy's got a hat-trick on the weekend. Don't take anything away from Villarreal. I don't think they go into this game as the underdog. In fact, I think they would be favourites, in my opinion. Mm they can be really dangerous on the attack. Unai Emery has got Villarreal playing some really good football in the Champions League. Whether they can do that against Juventus, we'll see. But I think favourites here are Villarreal. Juventus, I think I'm going to get knocked out of this one. I think Villarreal will win this. Wow, big shout, big shout. That's the Wednesday 4am game. That's that's hit to you now, the only non-United fan here. Electrico Madrid versus Manchester United. Fourth in the La Liga versus fourth in EPL. Um, Jan Oblak's drop in performance, though, you know, from being one of the arguably the best goalkeepers in the world to conceding 30 goals in 24 games and keeping only six clean sheets in the La Liga. Do you think this is encouraging for Ralph Ratnick's men? I remember they said the same about David De Gea and they said David De Gea was past it. So, no, Jan Oblek is, is world-class. Absolutely uh, world-class. It's not only about the goalkeeper if a ball goes into the back of the net, Daryl. Mm. It's about a, the, the team that goes on in front of you. Uh, Atletico Madrid, yeah, they're, they're struggling. They're certainly not guaranteed a Champions League place in, in, in Spain. It's a horrible place to go. Simeone will have his team snarling and scratching and biting and diving and spitting and, and then scoring the most sublime goal that you've ever seen in your life. They're, they're a horrible team to, to come up against. So United will go into this knowing, I think, that they've got a, a massive, massive battle. Now, for Man United, was it Luke Shaw who said, listen, I'm, I might be making a fool of myself here, but I think United can can win the Champions League? Or was it, was it some, somebody high profile? Peter Schmeichel uh, said it. Peter, Peter Schmeichel. Schmeichel. Yeah. You know what? You know what? I wouldn't bet against it because United have got this group of maverick players who are capable mm-hmm. of producing the sublime. They're also capable of producing the ridiculous. But if they, act, if they really decide, if they really are coordinated... This could be the biggest surprise going. I wouldn't put a lot of money on Man United if you were allowed to bet in this country, but I would, I would be tempted to, put, to have a little flutter because I think there's such, such a skill level at Manchester United and you've got Varane who's still yet to impress. Maguire will come back good. De Gea's superb. Pogba will fancy the big games. Whether or not they'll fancy the snarling and the fighting that they'll get against Atletico Madrid, I'm not quite sure. But don't bet against Manchester United. And I say that with um, a Liverpool hat very, very firmly on. Because the ability in that squad, they should be competing at the top level. They really should. Hmm. And we hope you're right, Des. Uh, that no, is. That's <laughs> 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 Atletico Madrid, Manchester United, 4 a.m. on Thursday. Also happening is Benfica versus Ajax. Uh, just to round things off, also. EPL matches are happening here. Burnley versus Tottenham Hotspur, Watford versus Crystal Palace, and Liverpool versus Leeds United. Come to the end. Um, so it remains now to thank uh, our, my guest, Sean. Well, thank you for coming on. 
Thank you, thank you. It's been a while. I like being here. <laughs> Kish. Cheers, guys. Thank you so much. Um, enjoy the week. There's a lot of football coming up. Yeah, for sure. That's... Yeah, always fun, Daryl. Well done. Come back, Cam Raslan. We've missed you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Daryl, and this has been Off the Ball. Enjoy your football right here on BFM 89.9. Where's the try? And he's always prepared to give it a go. Off the Ball on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.